Ephesians chapter 4, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, as we continue our study on, uh, again, the, the body of Christ, the body life. And this morning we're going to look at verses uh, 13 through 16. And the topic this morning or the subject is the work of the ministry, the work of the ministry. The purpose of the gifts, <clears throat> we saw them in verse 12 last time we were together, <clears throat> was for the work of the ministry and the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. And the gifts were given to be used in the world and the church. And you need to remember that the church, and that is us, we're just a small part of the whole church, the church being the believers. The church, again, is, is God's instrument, and it exists. God's church exists, and it's God's instrument to reach the world. And it's very clear that God planned all along to use the church, the true church, so that the world might see Jesus at work. Now, Jesus never intended for the world to come to the church. All right, to find him. Jesus intended for the church to go out into the world. And I think we have it backwards, or many people at least do have it backwards. We're to go find the people and bring them to Christ. We're to go to them. Jesus, like I intended us to go to the world, uh, go to, out into the world. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Listen to Jesus said here. He said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Mark 1, 38. Jesus said, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because of this purpose I have come forth. In Luke 9, 1 and 2, Then Jesus called His twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And Jesus sent them to preach the kingdom of God. So you just, here's just three, three scriptures and there's more where He said, Go, go. And, with, and He sent them to do what? To preach and to teach. Notice, to preach and to teach. So again, He sent them. The body of Christ was designed by God to be incarnate in the flesh. He designed them to be incarnate in the flesh, in the world, uh, present in the world, and visible in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 14 and verse 16, He said, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. So if... If the worldly can see the body of Christ among them, ministering to them, they will see that Jesus is not dead and gone. He's here among them in the shape and the life of everyday believers. You, and Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me. Jesus hasn't left his people here alone to struggle and to work things out on their own. He's here, 
And he has been for the last 2,000 years, just like he said he would. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what is the work of the ministry of the body of Christ? Well, here it is from our Lord's own lips. Luke 4, 16 through 24. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So it was the healing of man's soul that God is really after. The mistake that Israel made was, was they were looking for the physical healing. They were looking for miracles. And a lot of people make the same mistake today. They want to see miracles. They want to see spectacular things before they believe in God. They'd rather see somebody heal from cancer than accept the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd rather see somebody being trans, uh, than, than, again, being healed from cancer than being transformed by the new birth. More people would rather walk on water than be delivered from the evil and bondage of sin and pulled from the fires of hell and on their way to heaven. When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, we see a ministry done in the spirit. Just like Jesus was spirit-filled for his ministry. We see that in Matthew 3, 16 uh, and 17 to verse 4, 1. Listen to what it says. It says, he, when, when he had baptized, it says, uh, had been baptized, it says, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And then Jesus, notice, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Every believer has to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the work that they're called to do. You have to be. You are unique, you are unreproducible, and you're irreplaceable. In all the universe, there's no one who looks exactly like you, thinks your thoughts, or feels your feelings. And most of all, there is no other Christian in the world who is equipped and gifted like you are. The body of Christ needs you, each one of you. And the gifts that the Holy Spirit has uniquely bestowed upon you. So how can other people tell when the Holy Spirit has worked, is at work in a person's life? When spiritually blind eyes are opened. When the spiritually lame walk. When those who are led uh, captive by sin are set free. That's the purpose of a spirit-filled life. But the work of the ministry can't be done by a weak and unhealthy church. A church that's unforgiving. A church, that, a church that's bitter. A church that's, that's grudge-holding. Divided. Weighed down with problems. A lot of harm has been done to the work of Christ by unhealthy Christians who tried to do the work of the ministry in their own power. 
who try to do the work of the ministry with a lot of hard work, but spiritually unhealthy in the flesh. Holding on to their own problems. Showing unhealthy or hypocritical behavior. Disgracing the body of Christ and his gospel in front of the world. Their worship is dull. It's lifeless. It's predictable. And they just go through the motions. And the thing that's missing in a lot of churches today, this morning, is the experience of the body life. That warm fellowship that Christians are to have with one another. The New Testament word for that fellowship is koinonia. And the New Testament heavily emphasizes the need to know each other closely and intimately enough so that we can bear one another's burdens, so that we can confess faults to each other, so that we can encourage, exhort, and admonish one another and minister to one another with the word and worship and prayer. We as a church are called to live a special kind of life together. This is so, you know, it's so neat and unique. And, and when you read it and, and when Paul's trying to tell us what we're getting here, we are called, all of us, to live a special life together. We're not to be individuals in the sense that, you know, I do my thing, you do your thing. Hey, we're to do God's thing together. In the New Testament, there's over 50 statements and commands using the words one another. For example, have peace with one another. Mark 9:50. Wash one another's feet. John 13:14. Love one another. John 13:34. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Romans 12:10. Let us not judge one another anymore. Romans 14:13. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Don't lie to each other. Colossians 3, 9. Bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, 2. Don't grumble against one another. James 5, 9. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another. Colossians 3, 13. Encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Don't worry, I'm not going through the whole Bible. Have fervent love for one another. 1 Peter 4.8. Have equal concern for each other. 1 Corinthians 12.25. Serve one another in love. Galatians 5.13. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Galatians 5. Verse 15. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Galatians 5.26 Accept one another as Christ accepted you. Romans 15.7 Pray for one another. James 5.16 And that's all for now. But the point I wanted to make by giving all that, those are just some. It shows that one another statement how important it is in, in many areas of our life. And what Paul is really saying he's saying hey it's high time to get serious about God's word again. And what it means and how we're to do it. Because we need a healthy body to do effective work. And that's not an option. So what is God doing through the church? What is his plan for the human race? Well, he's given it in verses 13 through 16. So let's read verses 13 through 16 of chapter 4. 
And Paul says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. I want to read that to you also now from the New Living Translation. For us to come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ, so that we won't be like children anymore, always changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different, or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lies sound like the truth. Instead, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more like Christ in every way who is the head of his body, the church. And under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So God's main goal is not evangelizing the world, even though that's important. But it's the great, and the Great Commission isn't the main goal and main purpose of the church. Paul tells us that God's main plan for us is this, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, evangelism is the way of bringing people to a relationship with God so that they can become more like Christ in their lives. But God's main goal is to produce men and women who show the character and the qualities of Jesus. Because God doesn't want a church full of Christians who, who are just long-time churchgoers. Oh, I've, I've been going to church for a long time. He doesn't want a bunch of highbrow Christians who think they know it all. Or doctrinal authorities, Bible scholars, you know, or, or sophisticated pastors and leaders. He wants a church that's filled with ordinary men and women who do extraordinary things in the power of Jesus Christ. Who show the extraordinary integrity, temperament, wholeness, compassion, uniqueness, boldness, righteousness, sincerity, love, forgiveness, selfish, selflessness, and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. In verse 15 here, Paul says, we're to grow up in all things. That means we're to grow up in every way in Christ. Then in the last part of verse 16, he says, when the body grows, it builds itself up in love. Growth is God's method. And it's a process that doesn't happen overnight. Growth takes time. In, in almost everything. And some Christians, they get all bent out of shape. They get frustrated because they're not totally transformed right away. A lot of the old life is still in them. Growth is a process that takes time. And this is important for us to understand because we all grow at different speeds. Because some Christians are bothered 
Sometimes by the fact that, that after becoming Christians, they, they don't find themselves to be perfect. They haven't, you know, gotten victory over many of the challenges or habits in their life. But God's working on it as you're working with him. They see that they still have a lot of the old life left in them and a lot of the old ways in them. And it makes them question whether or not they're saved. The point is this. They are saved. They are Christians. But here's the thing. They need to learn that growth requires time. And if the things that make growth happen are present, then growth is going to take place. If we're patient and persistent and faithful to God, we will grow. So how do you grow? Well, you have to have the things that build up and encourage spiritual growth. And we've looked at some of those things already in our earlier studies in Ephesians. And, and they're all so, those things that we've already learned, they're, all, they're summed up. <clears throat> those things are summed up in these two things. Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And these two things will help us, will help lead us into maturity. As Paul said in verse 13, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The unity of the faith is the great truth of God's word that we all share and understand in the church. They're the greatest truth revealed in God's word. And Christians grow when they apply themselves. And you know, there's the Christian's part and there's God's part. But we have to apply ourselves. You know, it's like, like planting a garden or a tree or, or whatever you might plant. You know, you just don't throw the seed in there and wait for it to grow. You've got you to gotta work with the ground. You've got to pull the weeds. You've got to water it. You've got to take care of it in order for it to grow. It's the same with us. We have to apply the things that we've learned. And again, go, God, the, the growth is God's process. But we have to help with that growth by the things that we do. When we apply ourselves to the understanding of the Word of God with the help of the teachers and leaders who help you. And there can't be any growth without this increase in the unity of the faith through the understanding of God's Word. And this has to go together with an increased knowledge of the Son of God. Speaking of a personal relationship. And a growing experience with the Lord Himself so that we come can come to know him more and more. Not just about God, but knowing God. We, we need to not know, just know about God. We need to know God. We need to know him directly and personally, intimately. And these two things are what makes growth possible. And this grow, uh, growing experience with the Lord, it happens when the knowledge of the faith or hearing is put into practice, the doing. The hearing must be put to doing. That's what James told us. In chapter uh, 1, verse 22, he said, he said, don't be just doers of the word, hearers of the word, but doers. He said, because the doers are the ones that get blessed. It's not what I hear and what I know that blesses me. It's what I do. 
And it comes from the hearing and the knowing. I apply it. I practice it. And in doing so, James says, that's the ones, those are the ones who get blessed. And again, hearing and doing go together. You can't know Jesus until you follow him. Then Paul gives us two practical ways of how we can measure if we're growing toward full maturity. First, when we're, first thing that we know, practical way to find out if we're growing in maturity, is that we're no longer like children, he said, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 14. In other words, <clears throat> we know that we're growing <clears throat> and maturing when we're no longer immature like children. And we won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching that comes around. <clears throat> and we won't be influenced when people try to trick us with, with lies you know, that are so clever, they sound like the truth. And if you want to know if you're growing or not, ask yourself this question. Am I getting away from childish attitudes? Am I getting rid of childish behavior? Am I still being controlled by childish reactions and tantrums? That's the first way to tell how mature you are or aren't. We are to be childlike. Scripture tells us that. But never childish. Childlikeness is that simple faith, childlike faith that believes God and follows His direction without questioning. Childishness is described here by Paul as an instability and gullibility. Children are terribly fickle and they have short attention spans. They get bored easy. They, they, they just, you know, they don't hold steady. You can't hold their interest for very long because they quickly get interested in something else. They're unstable. They are tossed to and fro. They're carried by every changing situation around them. And this is a sure sign of an immature believer in, uh, in, uh, in Christ. An immature believer can be new in the faith or a long-time believer that hasn't developed in their Christian experience. There are fads and fashions in the Christian life. And immature Christians are always looking for and watching to follow some new fad, some new thing that they've heard about. They're always running after the latest book, the latest teacher, the latest event, or, or, or you know, whatever is the latest. And this instability and short spiritual attention span are signs of immaturity. They just don't seem to understand the oldest book, the oldest teacher is the most exciting of them all, and that is the Bible. The childish Christian shows himself by unfaithfulness and undependability. And many times new Christians will start some ministry or some job, really get interested and excited. But it won't be long before their interest fizzles out. And they kind of run out of gas. And then they get discouraged. And they quit altogether. Now this unreliability is understandable and can be easily forgiven when it comes to the new believer. But when you see it in those who have been Christians for a long time, it's a lot harder to take. You know, it's like a, a, a newborn child. They're immature. 
They haven't learned a lot of things yet. You know, and there's, and it's, there's not, I don't think there's probably a single parent who doesn't have pictures of their first child's first birthday with cake all over their face. We look at that, oh, isn't that, that's so adorable. Now, if you went to their house 20 years later and that same kid is celebrating a birthday and he's got cake all over his face and he's smearing it all over like he did when he was, that's not cute. There's something wrong. There's something wrong with that child. And that's what Paul pointing out here. He said this unreliability and this understand this this you know it, it you can you can forgive them when that you see them you know, making these mistakes as a new believer because they're growing and they got to learn and when they learn they change that behavior. But again, there are those Christians who have been Christians for a long time and they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Another sign of childishness is to be undiscerning and to be you know green like a rookie again have you ever noticed how how children aren't aware of the dangers that that they're around they play around in danger with dangerous things sometimes or or they're in in environments there that are dangerous and they're totally unaware that they could get hurt young and older christians who uh, who should be mature they're often caught off guard by, like Paul said in verse 14, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And one of the surest signs of immaturity is when a person feels confident about themselves and, and, and in their pride, and they say, oh man, I've been a Christian for a long time. Hey, I'll, I'll never fall. I'll never walk away from the Lord. Those are pretty much the same words that Peter said to Jesus. Before he denied Jesus. Oh Lord. Hey man all those other guys. They might deny you. Your those other disciples. They might fall away. But me. I'll be by your side forever. Till it end. Another sign of childishness. Is not willing to move on to life. To the life and power. <clears throat> that God has for us. You know, to live righteous lives. A lot of believers never put down the baby bottle or leave the baby food. They never get to the meat. They never step out of the boat. They still haven't learned to walk. And as Paul said, hey, some of you should be teachers by now. Think about that. Some of you should be teachers by now. Serving the Lord in some capacity. God wants us to leave these things. These these baby things. And he wants us to move on to maturity. The mature Christian or the mature Christian should be more and more concerned about showing the character of Christ through their obedience to the word of God. So what about you? Us. How much have you grown? Are you moving away from the childish signs of instability and and self-confidence? Are you growing in the faith? Do you know more about God's word than you did last week? 
Are you growing in the faith and the knowledge of Christ? Have you grown closer to the Lord in the last week? Another way we can tell if we're growing in in maturity is by speaking the truth in love that is becoming more and more in every way like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying in verse 15. It's a principle that applies to every part of the Christian life and ministry. Paul said, speaking the truth in love. It means to speak, deal, or act truthfully. It means being true in the broadest sense. In other words, living the truth in love. And that means developing an honest, reasonable way, approach to life and other people. Not a brutal honesty, but a gracious, loving acceptance of others that always seeks the best for others. It's being concerned for the other's feelings. We are to speak the truth in love. But we're to do it in a loving manner, being concerned for the other person's welfare, the other person's feelings. It's like, I think of a job review. You know, you get a job review every so often throughout the year. Your supervisor, whoever sits you down, and he starts to go over it. And all of these, you know, certain, certain areas, oh man, you, you do really good here and here, and you know, you're, you're a great employee and you do really well. He says, but you know what? Let's look at some of the areas where you could improve. And he starts to, you know, mention them. He says, you know, maybe, you know, you could do this or this to to help you improve in this area. Now, you're probably going to be more open to make those improvements and supervise them. You're doing a lousy job, bro. And there's not there's not an area here that I think that, that, you know, and, and. that's what it means to, tell, to, to speak the truth in love. I'm telling them the truth, but I'm doing it in a loving manner and I'm concerned about their feelings when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Speaking the truth, but speaking in love. Watching out for their welfare, for their good, for their feelings. It's an attitude that lives out the basic law of life that Jesus taught to love your neighbor as yourself. Genuine, mature believers whose lives are, 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 you you see it, it's it's love, it's marked by love. They won't be victims of false teaching, but they will be living faithfully and proclaiming the true word of God to a deceived and deceiving world. Look at verse 16 again. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Here Paul puts the subject of maturity into perspective. Showing us that maturity isn't something that's just an individual thing. It's a process. And it's a process that takes time within a group of of relationships. Within the environment of, he said, the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body. Here's what what Paul said in the uh, the way of the New Living Translation. He says, under Jesus' direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow. 
so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Paul says one of the things that stimulates growth in maturity is to let other Christians minister to you. That's what we're here for, to minister to one another. The parts of the body are designed to meet one another's needs. They're joined and knit together, Paul says. In other words, God's design for the church is that Christians should relate to one another honestly, but lovingly. As they carry out this mutual living in the truth in love ministry. Living the truth in love ministry. And the result will be that choices and decisions, hey, they'll be made with harmony throughout the whole church. And then the end result of that church harmony will be that that church will be a true witness to the world. And that true witness will attract people. And it will increase the numbers of the body and it will strengthen the body spiritually. But it takes a spirit-led combination of courage and compassion to speak the truth in love. It takes a willingness to accept others and to forgive others and to forbear with others and, and compromise with the less important matters so that our main issues, the essentials, Unity, our love, and our witness is never compromised. The other people in the body of Christ are God's chosen, chosen instruments. Don't reject God's instruments. He knows what you need way better than you do. He knows what you need way better than you do. You are where, right now, you are where you are because... It's where God wants you to be. And if we are where God wants us to be, there's no better place to be. It might not be comfortable. It might be painful, inconvenient. It might be costly. But nonetheless, it's the best place to be. God knows why I need to be there. He put you with the Christians around you because they're the kind that you need. And you're the kind that they need. Now here's, here's the rub. They might be a little prickly, like thorns. They might poke you in the wrong places. They might, they might be like sandpaper and rub you in the wrong places. But what's the purpose of sandpaper? To smooth out the rough edges. So the people that God places around, they might be prickly like thorns. They might be hard to live with. They might be hard to love. And they may think of you the same way. But they're what you need right now, and you are what they need. So don't fight with the, uh, fight with the place where God has put you. Submit to it. Don't, don't fight against the people that God has put you with. But accept it. Welcome, welcome it. And work with it. Work at relating in honest love to the other Christians around you. So in closing, 
As each member of the body accepts his or her, her own role in the body and seeks out to carry the role, then the body will grow more healthy. Each member of the body will be doing what he or she was meant to do and what they were equipped to do. And as the gifts are used, the gifts that God has given you, as they're used and love is shown throughout the whole body, and there will be an an awesome and wonderful harmony that will come out of it. A harmony that leads to maturity throughout the whole body of Christ and produces a witness that will draw thousands more men and women out of their darkness into the church. And isn't that that what we want to do? It is. We talk about that all the time. But Paul says, this is the way we're to do it. It won't be easy. There will definitely be pain and discomfort at times. But we've heard it before. Through the pain, we will grow. Our goal and the church's goal has to be the same as God's goal. As Paul said here. And that, God, that goal is Unity. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, help us to be what you've called us to be, God. And and again, let us not, you know, I I know we've been through Ephesians before, and I know that, Father, the church has read it on their own, God, but may it be more meaningful to us this time, God. Father, may we take it to heart. May we apply it, Lord. And Father, again, we are called to go. To go out and to reach the people, God. And let them see Jesus in us, God. Jesus came to be seen when he left the heavens at first. He came to to show people what God is like. And to show men how to live a godly life through his example so that when he left we would be Christ incarnate by way of the body of Christ when people look at us they should see Jesus his character his attitude his attributes and know that Jesus is alive He's alive in his people. He's alive in his church. And there are a lot of needy people, a lot of people who need Christ right now. So Father, help us to be what we're called to be, a light. We are light, you said. But you are the light of the world. And we are to reflect your light. So much so that others might see and give glory to the Father. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who we need desperately. Father, we thank you for the offering we will receive today, Lord. May it bring glory and honor to your name. We always thank you, Father, for how good you are and how faithful you've been to us, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.